Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. All right, good morning to everyone. Uh, Whether you're watching online or in the room, glad to have you. And I want to ask you a question. We're going to start today with a question, and that would be this. If you were going to make the biggest impact in this world, that whenever you leave this world, you breathe your last, you are put uh, in the ground, and you are eulogized at your funeral, what would be the life that you would live that would have made the greatest impact? All right? Hopefully, you don't want to just take up space. Hopefully, you don't want to just live a life that at the end of your life, there's nothing to say for your life. There's no legacy to leave because you've not lived the legacy. So just think about it. You fill in that blank. What would it take to be the greatest impact in your life? Maybe it's uh, solve the, the hunger problems of the world. Maybe it's to clothe somebody. Maybe it's to become a foster family. By all means, that's a beautiful thing. Maybe it is to stop global warming. Maybe it is to bring peace on earth uh, in this chaotic, sometimes very unpeace, uh, lack of peaceful world that we live in. Uh, what is it that would bring and make that all of us can do the biggest impact in the world? Think about it. Be wrestling with that, but I want to propose to you today that prayer is the greatest way to make the greatest impact in this world. Now, I know that that's a church answer, Um, and it's not prayer in and of itself. It's prayer as a means to an end. Prayer as in while you're in the midst of doing the work, it is praying. It's praying at the end of the work. Prayer just becomes a part of you, but it becomes an impactful, powerful part of who you are and what you do. Now, as John Bunyan said, You can do more than pray after you pray, but you can't do more than pray until you have prayed. That's a mouthful, I know. But you can do more than pray after you prayed. But we've got to pray first and let prayer be our first line of offense. For most Christians, sad to say, it's the last line of defense. They use prayer as a means of an emergency. They use prayer whenever things start falling apart and life begins to unravel. Prayer becomes this defensive posture, and God intends it to be an offensive tool. David Platt said it like this, prayer is not foundational, it is supplemental to so many believers in this world, and I couldn't agree more. At times in my life, it is a supplement and not foundational, fundamental to my life. So I totally believe in the power of prayer, but why is it that I sometimes fail to pray? Because it is the greatest way I can start and live a life of impact. I can do more than pray, but I can't do more until I pray. This is the power of prayer. Think about it like this. Ron Dunn says it like this. I discovered that prayer is like a secret weapon of the kingdom of God. It is like a missile that can be fired toward any spot on earth, travel undetected at the speed of thought, and hit its target every time. That's the power of prayer. 
whenever we understand that prayer can impact lives and that I can be here and I can pray for people on the other side of the world, know their name, know their faces, and actually God will hear that prayer and it will impact them on the other side of the world. That's an incredible thing that we have at our disposal. So why so little prayer? Whenever you look at the book of Ephesians, where we have been, we got to remember that Paul is in prison for being a Christian. He is in prison in Rome. He is in a dingy, dark, cold, damp, mildewy kind of prison. And he has been shut there, shut up from preaching the gospel. But he has not been shut up from prayer. See, it doesn't bother me immensely that we don't have a lot of public prayers nowadays, whether it's in the courthouses or in the schoolhouses. That's awesome whenever it can be there. But that doesn't bother me as much as that we don't have prayer in our houses, in our lives. It's not the public prayer that bothers me. It's the lack of private prayer in our own individual life. So let's do some self-assessment here. How much does prayer carry me? How much do I use prayer as an offense? How much is prayer foundational versus supplemental in my life? But Paul is shut up, but he is not shut down. He is shut up in prison, but he is not shut down from praying. He is in Ephesus, excuse me, he is in Rome, but he is praying across the Adriatic Sea to his famous, loved village of Ephesus, the area of Ephesus where he had spent three years more than any other place in his ministry. And he is praying from a prison cell, locked up, shut down, but not shut up, from praying for a people across an ocean. And that prayer is penetrating and impacting. And it's a lesson to us today that nothing, they may take prayer out of school, but as long as there's a student and as long as there's a test, there will be prayer in schools. What does prayer life look like for you? Is it one of those that is a part of your life, is a sustaining part of your life? We have a group of people that meet every uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, they meet, and it's just a, it's a Wednesday prayer. You don't even have to sign up. You just got to show up. But you know what? We have never had, at 9 a.m. in the morning, so many people that we had to turn people away. We've never had so many people come to pray on Wednesday morning that they have to. I know it's work time, and I know there's school going on, but maybe if, if there's some flexibility in your life, and maybe you can show up and be a part of that time. But again, if you, it's not that time, how are you praying consistently in your, we pray for your prayer request as you text them in to 97000 GPC Connect. There's a little place there that you can send in your prayer request. And I promise you, I read every single one of them every single week. I pray for them and plus other pastors do the same thing. So we are praying and we want to pray and we want to see the impact of prayer in your life and in our life. But take your Bibles and open to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Whenever you read Ephesians. As I pointed out in the beginning, chapter one is nothing but prayer, praise, and pray. It's just like he's starting with prayer, he's starting with praise, he's got it's all mixed in and all right there together, and how he is just exalting over, and yet he is in prison and he is still praising. And yet he is in prison and yet he is still praying. The entire chapter one is a prayer to God, whether it's in praise or praying for the, the, the people of God. You go to the end of chapter uh, chapter 6 where we'll be in the new year where we're going to talk about spiritual warfare and he's going to tell us that we put on the armor in prayer. We're going to fight our battles. We're going to win in life whenever we learn to live a life of prayer. And right in the middle, 
In chapter 3, where we are today, you will find Paul praying again. So whether you're looking in the beginning or the ending or the middle of the book of Ephesians, you find Paul in a state and a mindset of prayer. Whenever you look at Ephesians chapter 3, you find where he starts with a purpose statement. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, for this reason, and, and, and Brett did a great job explaining the stewardship of the mystery of the gospel of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 14, and he says, for this reason. So what does he do? Why does he repeat himself? Because he's giving the purpose of this letter. The purpose of this letter is that we would be reminded that we're a steward of the gospel, that we are keepers of the gospel, that we have this precious message, that we have this present reality, this mystery is made known to all of the peoples of the world. And that is why he writes. But he writes for another reason, for this reason. And it's for this reason that I want to, number two, that I want to zero our attention in on today and focus on why he is calling us to pray. Because we can do more than pray, but we cannot do more until we pray. Let's look at verse 14. Of chapter 3. It says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and in earth is named. Now I love it here because he gives us Paul's posture in prayer. He bows his knees. All right? If you want to know what kind of posture you need to have, then maybe that's a posture. And at any time in our worship service, any time during a song set, think nothing of it if you turn around and turn your chair into a kneeling altar to the Lord. You can kneel. Daniel kneeled in prayer. But that's not the only way you pray. David sat and prayed. And then you have other times when, when Stephen was standing and then he goes to kneeling when he was being stoned. We have, we have a time where Abraham stood and prayed over Sodom. Jesus fell on his face and prayed. So there's not just one posture of prayer. We typically teach our kids to bow their head and close their eyes and put their hands together. But you see in scriptures that many times their hands are lifted up in the heavens and their eyes are gazing into the heavens as they pray. So there's not one particular posture. However, there's a posture of humility. Whenever God, Jesus calls out, arrogance, standing in public, calling out your prayers, arrogance is not the right posture. It's a posture of the heart. The second person, we see, we see person, posture, we see person in there. And who is he praying to? He's praying to the Father. The person of our prayer is the Father. You don't pray to Mike. Don't, don't, you, I can pray with you. I can pray for you. But don't pray to me. Don't pray to a bishop. Don't, don't pray to a pope. Don't, don't, don't pray to a priest. Don't pray to Mary. You pray to the Father. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is how you should pray. We are to pray to the Father. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we can go confidently into the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, not by Mike, not by Mary, not by, by Joseph Smith, not by anybody's doing works of righteousness for me, but by Jesus' blood and his alone. That's how we get our prayers to the Father, through the posture of humility, whether you're standing, sitting, bowing, whatever. The, the person is the Father. You're praying to the Father. But I want to spend the rest of our time talking about the prayer. 
So if I'm going to make an impact in this world, if I want to make an impact on my children, this is a prayer, parents, you can pray for your children. If you want to make an impact on government, if you want to make an impact on your teachers in your school that are teaching your kids, if you want to make an impact on your church, pray for your pastor, pray for your small groups. And praise this prayer as he gives it to us beginning in verse 16. So then he begins to pray. He says, that according to the riches of his glory. Now, as you go through here, you're going to see the word that highlighted a few times because it's very important whenever you're uh, understanding this passage that you understand the way Paul's writing it. And when you see the word that in these times that I've highlighted, it's what's called in Greek a henna clause. The henna clause speaks to the purpose, the, uh, the goal, the intent. So Paul gives us three intents of his prayer, three purposes of his prayer. These are impactful purposes of prayer that you can make in your life as you pray for one another. So again, pray for your children, pray for your spouse, pray for your pastor, pray for your city, pray for your president, pray for whomever, and you can pray these prayers. That, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you the, and strengthen with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here's the second hint of clause. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That, the third hint of clause, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He ends his prayer there and he turns to praise next. It's almost as if he's so full of the awareness of God, the fullness of God, the love of God, the, the, the strength of God, even though he's in jail, that he turns to praise. And I want us to read this next two verses together out loud. Read it with me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at which uh, he works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now let me just point this out to you because I won't say anything else about it the rest of the day. But he tells us Where the glory of God is to reside, where is it to reside? In the church. Listen, Paul is very pro-church. We live in a day where there's a lot of anti-church. I don't need the church. The church is optional, opt-in, opt-out kind of mentality. But I want to say to you, when you just read the first three chapters of, uh, of Ephesians, you're going to find where he talks about the glory is in the church, the wisdom of God is in the church. He prays that the church would be enlightened. So he says that Jesus is the head of the church. So you're under the body of, you're in the body of Christ. And so Paul is very pro-church. God wants to do great things, show his glory in his church. So if you don't have a church, you need to find a church. You need to be a part of a church. You need to join a church. You need to invest in a church. You need to become a body, a part of that, of, of that church as if it is your family. And I want to ask you to do this. And I'm going to say anything else about this. And we're going to go right back into Paul's prayer. And that is this. 
that we're, we're right now in the process of hiring several pastors in our church, and we want you to pray with us. All of our pastors are being asked and committed to, at 722 every morning or evening, whichever one you set the timer on your clock, uh, we're praying for seven open positions in our church. And by the end of 2020, that we will have seven open positions on the way to being full. Because we need pastors in certain key areas, and we need positions filled full and part-time. So would you pray about that? If you know of somebody who would be interested in that, that's the information on that. Enough with that. Let's move back to Paul's prayer. How do we pray? How do we pray with impact? How do we make a difference in people's lives through prayer? Let's look at number one. We need to strengthen, we need to pray this, that they would be strengthened with God's infinite power. When your kids go to school, pray that God would fill them with God's infinite power. When you go and tackle the problems of the day, that God would give you and strengthen you with his infinite power, his limitless resources. Now, I'm not a big Marvel fan. Any Marvel fans in the house? Raise your hand. Okay, sorry, it's not me. Um, I'm more of a Batman Robin uh, uh, kind of person. Uh, but, you know, the superpowers are kind of cool. You know, you got, you got Flash here, and you, you got uh, Iron Man. I'm going to forget some of them. I'm going to mess some of them up. Deadpool, you know, anybody like Deadpool? I think he's one of my favorites. Uh, but, but you got every one of those superpowers that these, that these superheroes have all have limitations. Even Superman has kryptonite. But let's talk about somebody who is limitless in power, limitless in strength, and is able to give his strength to us. Notice this, that according to the riches of his glory. So when God reaches out to give you and I power, when we pray God's power and strength into our kids' lives, into our lives, guess what we're doing? We're not tapping into my power, your power, anybody else's power, but the God of the universe's power and his resources are limitless. So when I pray that God would fill you with power, I am praying that God's power would be a part of your power. Let me give illustrate it like this. If I wrote you a check for $10 million today, yeah, you laugh. Because you would laugh your way to the police station to say, Mike is writing fraudulent checks. But there are families in Northwest Arkansas that if they wrote you a $10 million check, you would make a beeline to the bank to cash that baby in, right? Because you know that there's some people in Northwest Arkansas that can have that level of resources. When God says that he's going to fill us with his strength and his power from his riches and glory, that is limitless, that is infinite, that is ongoing, that is never-ending. Notice what he said there. He said, from his riches and glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power. The word power there is the Greek word dunamai, where we get our English word dynamite. Dunamai, dynamite, you can either write in there together. Now, they didn't have dynamite back then, so we're not blowing up things around here. I know that breaks some of y'all's heart. But, but really, when you think about the power, the, the transformation of dynamite, that's the level of power and strength that he is speaking of here. That you be strengthened with power, dunamai, through his spirit in your inner being. 
Whenever you look at the Great Commission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he sends the disciples out and he tells them to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, he tells them that I'm going to give you my spirit and you'll have power. That power is the same word due to my ear. He's using it again. So literally Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you dudamai. Paul is saying, hey, pray that the dudamai of God would be a part of who you are. I like it that he says that the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, here's the reality. Is Paul praying for Christians? If he's praying for Christians, why is he praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts? Why is he praying that? Because don't they already have the Spirit of God? See, the reality is that some people have so little of God's strength and power. They have a little bit of Jesus, a thimble full of Jesus, enough of Jesus to save them into eternity, which is a lot. But they don't know how, or they haven't learned to tap into. They, they live on their own resources, and all along, Jesus is wanting to fill them with his power in their inner being. Our inner man sees, our inner man hears, our inner man tastes, our inner man feels. It exercises, it's cleansed, it's fed. And by all means, it should be strengthened. You have inside of you, every one of us, a spiritual being. In fact, I will say this, you are more spirit than you are physical because when your physical dies, the spirit lives on. But what Jesus, what Paul is praying here is that the spirit of God would fill us, consume us. And I listen, the older I get, the weaker I get, the more pains I have. Every time I go to the gym, I find a new pain that I didn't know I could have. In places, I pull fats instead of muscles sometimes. Some of y'all get that later on. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. I don't know if you feel the, the weight of 2020 and the residual effects of 2020 into 2021. I was reading from an author yesterday. I'm still perplexed by this. I read it three times just to make sure I was reading it right. That he was saying, a well-named author, he was saying that what we have experienced in our culture, in our land, whether it's political, whether it's conspiracies, whether it's, uh, whether it's isolation or polarization, whether it's division or death. I lost two family members due to COVID. It's not just COVID. It's all the other stuff. That he, this is what this author said. He said, this is this generation's World War II. I don't know. That's a pretty bold statement. But trying to say that the impact financially, economically, globally, uh, the way it's divided us as, as a land is incredible. Sometimes I have been ready and willing to hang it up and walk away. I have been one of those pastors that have actually prayed, God, move me. Show me where stage left is so I can take it. But why am I still here? Because of this right here. That I'm not at times operating in my strength because I don't have anything left to give. And it's like, I got it. Here I am. I am a vessel. I am broken. I am weak. I am tired. I am frustrated. I am exhausted. I feel alone at times. God, I can't. Would you give me strength in my inner being? Would you give me power in my inner being? 
And I know the prayer I just prayed for some of you right now, whether it's marital or, or relational or in your own life right now, you're saying, God, I need strength in my inner being. Pray it. Pray it for yourself, but pray it for others around you. Paul is interceding from a prison cell, praying that God would give Ephesus, who's living in freedom, strength and power in their inner being. But number two, that we would be grounded in infinite love. So not only would we have strength, but we would be grounded, firmly established in, in infinite love, not the intimate love, not the imitation love of our day. I will say this, in my opinion, 90% of the love that's put out in propaganda, in social media, in movies, in song, 90% of that is a cheap imitation of what real love is. When you look at what real love is from a biblical perspective and embrace it and unpack it and unravel it and insert it into your soul, that's why Jesus could say, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. It's literally the love that we have for one another. And just remember that in the weeks ahead of our, of our, of our, our heading into this election season. It's going to be our love, not our stance. It's going to be our love that's going to be the greatest witness that they truly do belong to Jesus. They truly do belong to Jesus. Go on to verse 18. It says, may have strength to comprehend, to apprehend, to take hold of, to understand, strength to comprehend with all the saints, the breadth, the depth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge now, notice this is God, kind of God cubed here, or love cubed. He says, I want you to take a measuring tape out there, and I want you to measure out God's love. And it's kind of like an exercise in futility, because you will not be able to measure the height, the depth, the, the breadth of God's love. In fact, he kind of does a mind bender here. When he asks us to go out and measure the love of Christ, and that we would take on and comprehend the love of Christ, I, I wonder how can I comprehend the love of Christ when the love of Christ is, surpasses knowledge? Think about that. It's almost like a you're doomed to failure. I want you to comprehend, I want you to take hold of, I want you to understand, I want you to live in, walk in, breathe in that love of Christ, but I also want you to understand that you'll, you'll not ever understand. How, how can that be? It's, it's a recipe for failure. It's a, is it a hyperbole? British pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones explains it as far more than a hyperbole. He says, take a small, tiny container, take it to the, the edge of the, the ocean, dip down that, that small, tiny container, and fill it up to the rim with, with salt water from that ocean. Put the lid on that, and you have salt water in that container. Then take that container and throw it out as far as you can throw it out into that vast sea, that vast waters, that vast body of ocean. The bottle is full of the ocean. The ocean is in the bottle and the bottle is in the ocean. Yes, we can comprehend the love of Christ. But even as we comprehend the love of Christ, we need to realize there's an infinite, endless supply of that love. That's how mind-blowing and infinite is the love of Christ. But I'm going to point this out. That's verse 18 and verse 19. The purpose clause is not there. 
he describes this, but if you go back to verse 17, we get the purpose clause. This is what I'm praying. This is the goal. This is my ambition. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Then we would comprehend. Then we would see the surpass uh, uh, the, the knowledge of, of God's love that is beyond our understanding. That we would be rooted and grounded in love. Again, in a day of polarization, I wonder sometimes, what are, what, what are, what are we anchoring ourselves to? Does love come out? Does love manifest itself? Or does it just look really good on the surface, but really deep down in our soils of our souls? There's not that love of God. We would be grounded. What is the soil that you're growing and becoming in? Is it the love of Christ? What is the foundation on which your life is being built? Is it the love of Christ? My mom used to take us camping uh, a lot of our vacations when I was growing up was camping. And one time we went up to Six Flags in St. Louis and went to this little community outside, Times Beach, Missouri. Now, unless you're older like me, you may not know anything about Times Beach, Missouri because it was eradicated from the map. But about a year before we went, before it was locked up, abandoned because there was toxicity in the grounds, we went there camping. It was a beautiful little town. It had a little stream that went through it. It was just not far from Six Flags. We were playing in the dirt that a year later was toxic. You know what? You can look good on the outside, but if the soil of your soul, the foundation of your life is not growing deeper and deeper, wider and wider, higher and higher into God's love, then we're missing it. So I want you to pray this for your kids tonight before they go to bed. God, give them the strength from your glory, from your glory resources, from your, from your heavenly Give them the strength and the power that they need to live out their life, that infinite. Pray that they would be grounded in love, love for one another, a love that changes life. And then pray this, that they would experience, that they would experience the infinite God that they would tap into this infinite God. So I want to ask you a question. How big is your God? How big is your God? How do you measure the, the breadth, the width, the depth of your, of your God? How big is your God? Notice what he says in verse 19, the purpose clause there. It says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That your hearts, that your life would be filled with the fullness of God. That I'd understand that, that my God is big enough that there's no sickness that he cannot heal. There's no need that he cannot meet. There's no hope that he cannot restore. There's no anxiety that he cannot navigate. There's no burden that he cannot carry. He has no calling that he cannot help me live out. How big is my God? How do you grow your God, you increase your prayer. It puts you in a posture where it's like, God, I can't. I need your strength. God, I'm angry. I need your love. God, I'm, I'm ready to give up. I need your fullness. I need you to fill me and consume me. You increase your prayer, that'll increase your size of God. 25 times in the Bible do we get word recorded, 
references to the prayer life of Moses. One of those times, probably one of the most epic times in Moses' life, is after 40 years of living out away from life's calling that God would have for him. 40 years of living out with the Midianites away from Egypt, away from his people, because he tried to at one time take it into his own hands. He had to run for his life. He was on the Egyptian FBI most wanted list. But yet for 40 years, he's living out there and he's shepherding and he walks up the side of a hill and there's a burning bush that's not being consumed. And God speaks from that bush, says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. He is experiencing God in his fullness. God gives him his calling. I said, when we're in the fullness of God, there's no calling that we cannot live. So, so he's literally hearing his calling to go set my people free. Go and let, let my people out of, of this Egyptian bondage, the superpower of the day. That's not going to be easy. And Moses starts giving examples of why I can't. I'm, uh, I can't, and I can't, and I can't, and I can't, and I can't. Because he was operating in his strength, not the strength of God. He was not compelled by love. The love of God in him was making him love his people more. He was more in love with his own life. It was because he wasn't living in the fullness of God. And God in that moment speaks to him. He says, and finally, after all these excuses are laid out there, he says, well, who am I supposed to tell? Pharaoh sent me. He said, I am. I am. Tell him I am. I am what? I am that I am. I am. The most holy name for God to this day, the Hebrews will not say it. They will insert the word Adonai when they come to that word, that Hebrew word that says Yahweh. That means I am. I am that I am. I am whatever you need. I am whatever your desires are. I am whatever you need for the calling of God on your life. I am the fullness of God in you, Moses. You can go and you will set them free in my strength, motivated by my love, filled up with myself. You will experience me, Moses, in ways when you walk with me and you let I am be your reason, be your excuse, be your mission. What, what, what does the fullness of God look like for you? How big is your God? When you look at that verse, verse 20 and verse 21, again, it reminds me, now to Him. Now to Him. Now to Him who's able to far more abundantly than all that we can think, ask according to the power. The power of the word dunamis there again at work within us, at work within us. Do you, do you hear that? It just kind of builds in, in this crescendo of, of a message for us today that my God is able. Would you say that with me? My God is able. My God is able to do. My God is able to do. Say it with me. I'm going to say it once. You're going to say it after me. My God is able to do. My God is able to do far more abundantly. My God is able to do far more abundantly, more than I can ask. 
Say it like you mean it. My, use your outside voice, okay? It's okay. My God is able to do more abundantly than all you can ask or think. Say it. And let's say this next phrase together. According to the power that works within us. Listen, how big is your God? Spend more time in prayer. Spend focused time. Spend intensity in prayer. That might help. But ask God to give you his strength. Ask God to fill you with his love and ground you in his love and to grow you in his love. And ask God to give you his fullness. That we can say this all together one more time. My God is able to do far more abundantly than all I can ask or think according to the power that works within you. Would you stand and worship with us? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.